0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you.
2: This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready. Get
0: ready.
2: morning everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard Gibbard, and i am on location today at the mississippi trademark rhino comfortably back in the super talk studios we'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday eve Heck dang, yeah, we have made it <laughs> to Friday Eve. This place already jamming around here. We are here because it is uh, Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day, and all the muckety-mucks are here, Rhino, <laughs> running around in their dress regalia. <laughs> uh, and, and we're close to the breakfast bar. It looks pretty good. I might have to check it out. Lots of fresh fruit and Bakery items, coffee, etc. Mississippi trademark. I tell you, I know I say it every time I come here, but so glad we got this place in uh, as a replacement to that old facility, which was uh, on its last leg. It was on its last leg twenty-five years ago, honestly. So this is really a nice facility, nice venue. It's my understanding uh, from Commissioner ag commissioner andy gibson that this place is rented out for like the next year so i think when you have a good venue like this you will definitely attract events and that's exactly what we got going on here in the state of mississippi with this mississippi trademark we got a jam-packed lineup in store for you today we'll kick things off with uh, mandy Gunasakra. She is a candidate, you probably know by now, for the Northern District Public Service Commissioner. She'll join middays at 10.20. She's standing about 30 feet in front of me here in the uh, lobby area of the Mississippi Trademark. Of course, she's uh, been a regular fill-in on both uh, middays and the Gallo Show in the morning. Kathy Northington, the COO of the Mississippi Economic Council at 10.50. Speaker Pro Tem, Jason White will be on at 11.20. Representative Trey Lamar tentatively scheduled to join middays at 11.37. At 11.50, wrapping up Hour 2 of the program, Scott Waller, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. Senator Josh Harkins kicks off Hour 3 of the program at 12.05. At 12.20, Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman will join me here in the Element Well Studios in the middle of the Mississippi Trademark Lobby, and Ryan Miller, Executive Director of Accelerate Mississippi, will round out the day with Martin Williams, Chair of the Mississippi Economic Council. Markets are down this morning, and once again, <laughs> that's because of a a better than expected jobs report here we go again Rhino good news is bad news for the markets and I still maintain that the feds strategy of aggressive interest rate hikes is really not doing the trick what I mean by that is we still have sticky inflation we are not seeing a decrease in inflation whatsoever, we're not seeing employers shed jobs to any extent, and that's what they're trying to do. We've talked about that before because that means people got less money to spend, and less money to spend means less inflation, lower inflation. So markets are not happy because we got a, a actually a good jobs report. They're reacting negatively, feeling that that just supports the Fed's aggressive rate hiking strategy that's where we are i still maintain that as long as the fed is relied upon by the president who said this several months ago we're relying on the fed to tackle this inflation problem meaning we're not on board here in the government uh, to really implement any sort of fiscal policy that would in fact promote supply, so-called supply-side economic policy. He's made that very clear. He's not on board with that, such as getting the dead gum boot off the oil and gas, the fossil fuels industry, the government boot, which is, uh, of, of course, hampering new oil and gas exploration, production, etc. That would be the first thing that they should do, honestly, in my view. And they made it very clear, no, 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 we're putting those fossil fuels companies out of business. So there's nothing in the Biden agenda, no legislation passed and and uh, no policy enacted, no regulations that would, in fact, promote supply. In fact, it's just the opposite. When you look at these gigantic spending bills and you're spending money we don't have, so you're thus injecting more dollars into the economy. It is ridiculous. And they just don't seem to get it. And uh, most recently, the omnibus bill passed with the help of 18 Republicans in the Senate. And, uh, of course, that got uh, uh, signed off by and supported sufficiently in the House, sent to only one Democrat dissented. That was AOC. It wasn't left enough for her, of course. The president had it flown down while he was on vacation in the Virgin Islands and signed off on the 4,155-page omnibus bill. It's 1.7 trillion. The bottom line is you're injecting more money into the economy, and that just fuels inflation. And the, on the other side, on the on the monetary policy side of the equation, you got the Fed who just keeps raising interest rates, and it's it's treading. Come up with all the various metaphors you want. It's treading water. It's urinating in the proverbial wind. It's swimming upstream. Right. It's uh, it's just crazy. It's running in, into a brick wall. All of the above. It's tug of war between bad fiscal policy and aggressive monetary policy. Just dumb. Totally dumb. So. I don't know where that's going, except I expect a rocky road for most of 2023 until we start seeing those jobs numbers show unemployment increasing. You know, we did see that Amazon announced more job layoffs. We already talked talked about Goldman Sachs. (laughs) Now the employees at the Wall Street banking firm have to pay for their coffee. Oh, the humanity. Uh, And Salesforce.com. Salesforce announced a significant reduction in force. A RIF is the acronym by which layoffs are known. It it sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? It's just a RIF. No, people are losing their jobs. They're getting pink-slipped is what it is. So all of that is starting to take hold, but I think we got more layoffs in our future. And until... That shows unemployment, that's relevant enough, meaningful enough, material enough to increase the unemployment rate. I just don't think we're going to see the Fed being at a point where they say enough of the interest rate hiking. Also, I just saw, Rhino, a report that Damar Hamlin apparently... Is uh, is up now? I think out of the coma. Are you seeing this as well? This is just crossed the wire.
3: Yeah, there was a statement released by the Bills st- stating that he is "quote unquote" uh, neurologically intact, or is showing all the signs of it. That his lungs are healing, that he is awake and out of the induced coma and has made tremendous improvement in the last 24 hours. That came out this morning after the Bills had a phone call with DeMar's father last night where he thanked them for their support and their prayers and gave them a bit of calm heading into the day where they will be taking the field for their first practice
2: since the incident on Monday night. That's good news. Good news. On the Speaker of the House front, what a circus that is. In the United States House of Representatives, six votes, three on Tuesday, three on Wednesday. Both failed to elect a speaker. And so another vote is scheduled today at noon Eastern time. That's about 45 minutes our time from now. And in the back rooms, of course... Kevin McCarthy, who desperately wants to be the speaker, is cutting deals with what amounts to a handful of members in the chamber. And I know that a lot of conservatives may be celebrating these victories where they are forcing concessions on the part of McCarthy, but on the other hand, Isn't this really a small, at the end of the day, a small special interest that is influencing government action here, influencing leadership? And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with their demands, but that sure does seem like that about 10 people are basically running the House of Representatives from a rules and legislative agenda perspective. Well, that's not right either. You need to get more people on board or your your bills are going to fail. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. We're at the Mississippi trademark. Mandy Gunasakra, a candidate for the Northern District Public Service Commissioner, up next.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi, live from the Mississippi trademark for. The Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day and joining us now in the Element Wealth Studios right in the midst of the hallways here, the, the corridors of the Mississippi Trademark, is Mandy Gunasekra. She is a candidate for the Northern District of the Public Service Commission to be the Public Service Commissioner for the Northern District. Mandy, welcome to Middays. Good to see you. And always uh, appreciate you filling in when you have for us, so.
1: Yeah, well, always happy to help. And it's such a beautiful day outside, and this is a cool setting in here. It's it's good to be with MEC and good to talk to you about all that's going on here yeah. in the Capitol.
2: Yeah. All running around here today, all the muckety-mucks, aren't they? <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right.
2: <laughs> all right. So uh, you have uh, qualified or yes. you're today, right? Well, I,
1: I officially signed my paperwork yesterday. Okay. And then we've got a bit of a celebratory event over at the Mississippi GOP today.
2: Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Going to try to stop by and see what's going on there. So what made you uh, decide to jump into this race?
1: Well, a couple things, Gerard. I have, I've thought about running for a long time. I know you know my father. Um, He served in the military, so um, having an eye towards public service is something I grew up with, and I've always tried to think about how best could I help my community. And given my experience with energy and environment and helping to um, set reasonable regulations under the Trump administration, I saw what was happening in North Mississippi. And what you've got is there's been a lot of promises made um, with regard to access to affordable, reliable energy and expanding access to broadband. When I talk to folks, I hear about energy and internet. And for 15 years, there's been an incumbent in there talking about delivering on these, but hasn't actually delivered to the entirety of North Mississippi. And so I see what's happening. There's also a couple decisions being made that's setting Mississippi up for problems on the energy and Internet side. And if we want to be competitive in the modern economy, we need to have that under wraps and ready to go. I like to say those are the two components um, that that form the bedrock of either a growing or receding economy, and I want to make sure that we are built on that solid rock fanda- foundation. And given my eye towards service, my experience, I see this as a very good opportunity to jump in and make a difference in the northern part of the state where there's just a ton of growth and opportunity if it is pushed in the right direction.
2: One of the more controversial matters... That was taken up and adopted by the Public Service Commission, as you know, on a 2-1 vote was was uh, credits uh, that would be issued by the energy company for installation of, of solar panels.
1: Right. The, and, yeah, the, the net had, metering. Yeah, yeah. The net,
2: and included net metering as yeah. well. We had Dane Maxwell on the program yesterday, Public Service Commissioner for the Southern District, discussing that. Uh, you have a feeling about that, a position on that?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that's one of those bad decisions that's setting Mississippi up for problems. You know, when you start to incentivize inferior technologies that create problems in the grid, that will lend itself to an unreliable grid and higher costs for we, the ratepayers. Yeah. And it's as simple as this, Gerard. It's do you have solar panels on your house? If the answer is no, do you feel like it's fair to pay for your neighbor to have solar panels on their house when at the end of the day they are complicating a grid Grid, that isn't perfect, right. um, but it's it's doing pretty well. So those type of policies um, they have no place in Mississippi. And I look forward. I've talked to Commissioner Maxwell about this as well, and um, he's he's been a very very helpful person and a very good friend. And I think he's been representing um, the state well, especially in that position.
2: The the uh, issue I had with it, honestly, Mandy, was the requirement that fifty percent of uh, those credits be issued to low income. Households, right? Which uh, just sounded to me to be more ideological than practical and functional. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, how many low-income households are looking to go spend twenty thousand dollars on solar panels? I just don't think that's high on their high on their list.
1: You don't have to be a math whiz to realize that spending <laughs> twenty to thirty thousand right. dollars to get uh, thirty-five
2: hundred or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: at the at the behest of Mississippi and right. U.S. taxpayers, just does not make financial sense. So it's a gimmick. Um, it really has no place in Mississippi, and and I want to work towards ensuring decisions around energy and um, broadband, in particular, as well as water. Water is under the purview and in infrastructure and pipeline mm-hmm. safety, but all these are based off of what's best for Mississippians, and not 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 letting politics or what may be best in terms of subsidies for other third-party influences that are trying to take advantage of Mississippi as a state.
2: Okay. What, uh, what sort of reception have you received, if any, uh, from the utility? Industry.
1: Um, I, you know, I will say this. Generally speaking, um, I've had very positive response from folks. Um, you know, the utilities are they they keep an arm's distance. Some of that is by virtue of the law, mm-hmm. um, but I I do think that. Seemingly, uh, they are excited that someone who knows a thing or two about energy, knows a thing or two about setting regulations and pushing that through, and also knows a few people that can be helpful in the legislature to make sure that we are moving and making decisions that are balanced and pragmatic. Um, I've heard that they see that as, as a good thing. Okay. So, so we shall see. But it's, um, you know, I, I care more about what the, the ratepayers say sure. and the consumers, um, because they're the ones who have to deal with the cost consequences of these decisions.
2: Sure and uh, you've got deep experience in the energy sector served as the chief of staff of the EPA under the Trump administration so tell the uh, the folks a little bit about your background
1: Yeah, certainly so um serving as chief of staff I had purview over it was a 14,000 federal employee workforce all across the country in charge of uh, keeping 12 of the DC based offices on track and in line with implementing the Trump administration's view of environmental protection and at the the end of the day, it was about establishing certainty for um, for stakeholders, people mm-hmm. who were required to comply with the standards, and also cutting unnecessary red tape. So I like to say I was at the tip of the spear in terms of cutting red tape and delivering savings to the economy. So the people in this country, whether businesses, whether they run a business or a factory or anything, can do what they do best and spend less time worrying about what's going on in D.C. and spend more time investing in the people and the business that they care so much about. And I'll say to, Gerard, what I think is going to be most helpful is that I saw front and center a very good, important mission that had been co-opted and corrupted by third-party interests, trying to use the EPA to implement political ends. And that created so many problems in terms of cost and in terms of access to that reliable energy that is especially harmful to mid-to-low income um, individuals or anyone on a fixed income. And so, Understanding that and coming to Mississippi and being a uh, a, a strong advocate for the the ratepayers and for understanding what they need and making sure that politics doesn't find its way into those decisions and create problems that frankly we can't we can't uh, we can't deal with in Mississippi and we shouldn't have to.
2: Yeah, and and doesn't it make sense, Mandy, that the Public Service Commission really shouldn't be politicized right it really has no place in that environment
1: yeah that's exactly right and um, it, it, you could say the same for environmental policy and energy policy writ yeah. large but especially here because it, it really is about seeing if there's a need and addressing that need in the most pragmatic way yeah. possible yeah. and there shouldn't be politics in that now today's world politics seems to find its way in everything whether it's our schools or whether it's sports um, but I intend to get in there and focus on the business and the the straight responsibilities and set it and and get the politics and any third party, extreme third party interests out.
2: Have you heard any mention of other possible candidates uh, on the Republican ticket for this office?
1: I have not, and um, I've been asking. Now, that doesn't mean anything. Some folks sure. will, will keep this close, uh, hold it close to the vest, yeah. as they say. Three weeks left, Yeah, three yeah. weeks left, so we'll know by February 1st what the landscape will look like.
2: Is, is there anything you'd like to say in particular that truly does differentiate you from the present office holder, Democrat, uh,
1: Brandon Preston? Well, I think first and foremost is I'm um, a conservative Republican, and I think most of the listeners of this show understand what that means. And this is a very conservative district. They deserve to have conservative uh, leadership, making decisions on their behalf. So that's the biggest differentiator. Beyond that, I have a vision for Mississippi, and that vision is that we are an area of massive growth, so when my kids grow up, they seek opportunity in the state. And uh, I'm invested in that future through my kids, through my community, and through my, my, my broader Mississippi family. And I think that is a huge differentiating factor that that really resonates with the folks I've been meeting in the north. It just country. feels
2: like, I know I'm one of them, I just want to see real- Reasonable regulation and a reasonable regulatory framework for uh, the public service utility segment without it being politicized, without it being used as a political tool for political gain. Let, let's just do the job. And, and the voters will see that and they'll realize that. You've said it uh, very eloquently here today. It, you're uh, loyalties to the ratepayers.
1: Yeah, and let's let's do what's right. I yeah. think I think that that is what's most important, and let's actually deliver on um, you know what I say I'm going to do. Not talk about it for 15 years. I will say that there's a complacency that manifests itself with incumbents, and we've seen that in Northern Mississippi. Yeah. and uh, we just uh, I'm going to change that.
2: We look forward to uh, tracking your campaign, Mandy, and good luck with it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. on. Yep, we'll be right back here. At MEC's Capital Day, we're at the Mississippi Trademark Middays stepping aside for a break.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. From the queen of England to the hounds over
3: hell. And if I catch it coming back my
4: way, I'm going to serve it to you. Yeah.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Middays at the Mississippi Trademark for Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day. Taking a little break here in the main meeting room and they came pouring out of the uh, the doors there uh rhino right at the end of the the segment you could hear the noise level pick up i'm sure in the background so again another vote is scheduled to occur on uh the house floor up there in washington to see if they can get them a speaker of the house at this point i don't know so we figured out the last time There were multiple votes to elect a speaker. It was 1923, as I recall, Rhino, and that took nine. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we found out? Yeah, okay. So we're at six. We had three on uh, Tuesday, three yesterday, one scheduled at 11 o'clock in about 20 minutes, our time today. And we'll see what happens. I just don't know if the votes are there at this point. Several of the holdouts have said that uh, they're never going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And one, at least one representative, Dan Bishop, he's one of the holdouts from North Carolina, He went so far as to say he would resign from Congress, resign from Congress, if they are unsuccessful, he and his group, in their effort to bring uh, institutional change, if you will, to the House. He actually went on, uh, sort of insinuated, if if it's Kevin McCarthy, I'm out. I was shocked by that. Now, he's denying he went that far, saying, no, I didn't really say that. And I don't know that we can get to the bottom of that at this point, but at least that's the scuttlebutt, if you will. The other thing that uh, I thought was rather amusing is that some of the members on the Democrat side, they entered the chamber. Yesterday or last night, at least, consuming alcoholic beverages and and munching down on popcorn. They are just absolutely giddy, euphoric at the chaos and the conflict that is occurring on the Hill within the Republican Party. You seen any reports on that, uh, Rhino? Have you seen that? That Oh,
3: yeah, they were bringing popcorn (laughs) on the first day because they knew
2: it was going to be a you-know-what show. (laughs) So, (laughs) and apparently, I think it was Representative Kat Kamek from Florida who went at the podium, called them out for the disrespect (laughs) of coming in uh, to the chamber, uh, consuming alcohol and and um, eating popcorn, it is kind of sad to see the Democrat Party really taking advantage of this and celebrating. I, my main concern here, and you don't know because it's two years out, but my main concern is that all of this this chaos and this conflict really does harm the party come 24 in the next round of elections for the house and numerous senators and of course the president this is big time election year 2024 that they are able to leverage this chaos and and this dissension if you will within the party uh, to their political gain and political benefit jerry in waynesboro on the ceasefire text line Says not if you count their constituents behind them could be more than you think, and that's just in response to my statement that you got really what amounts to a handful of members of the body, 435 in the body, and 15 to 20, depending on the day and the vote, right, of the six that have been taken, oppose Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker, And uh, they are insisting that their demands be met in order to earn their support. And I simply stated that uh, that essentially is a small special interest group that is influencing rules and legislation, committee assignments and chairs and so forth. Uh, That that is really not consistent with, I think, the way most conservatives think that a small group should not have so much outsized power. So Jerry opi- opines here that if you count all their constituents, well, of course, Jerry, you know that every member of the House has the same number of constituents. That's the way the districts are drawn. That's based on the census, 750,000. So they don't, any member of the House, it's not like the Senate where you got two senators that support the entire population of a state, and every state has a different population. An example would be Mississippi with nearly 3 million population. We got two senators, and so does the state of California with a population of 40 million. So each senator in California represents 20 million. Each senator in Mississippi represents roughly 1.5 million. However, when it comes to members of the House, each member of the House, of course, represents the same number of constituents. The difference is there are, what, 53 in California as a result of that system. That's all by design uh, when the founders framed the the Constitution and the system of government. The the House originally, of course, was to be the, the people's house, those who represented the people, and the Senate was designed to be what was called the cooling saucer, that all the legislation basically would originate in the House and it would re- rep- reflect the, the broad views in the writ large population. And that gets sent over to the Senate, and anything that comes out of the House is kind of crazy. The idea was the Senate would kind of bring things back to the middle and be, uh, I guess, more practical, more thoughtful in the process. And that's why, as you guys are aware, the 17th Amendment uh, called for, prior to that, called for the uh, members of the Senate to be elected from the state bodies, the legislatures. That uh, transitioning over to being elected by the people wasn't the original design. That's also why the terms were longer, the terms were shorter in the House, because, look, if you got somebody that's not really representing you properly, you can get rid of them in a hurry. In the Senate, because it was meant to be, again, more stable, more thoughtful. Now, it certainly doesn't appear to be that way anymore. I, I, I agree with that, uh, acknowledge that, I should say. But and Jerry says it's a movement. I'm not sure it is, Jerry. If it's a movement, then why are why are there not sufficient number of members to support someone other than uh, Kevin McCarthy? Because at this point it ain't even close, right? I mean I think that's, well, that's the point where the, you've
3: been making. Therein lies the rub. Libertarians and especially tea partiers always seem to have this problem of overestimating their actual support. If they actually had the support that they claim to have Mm -hmm. so loudly and proudly, then they wouldn't have to run under the Republican umbrella. They wouldn't have to rely on the RNC for funding for their campaign. They would be able to do it on their own as a legitimate third party. But the fact that you have these handful of people that didn't have the wherewithal or the, the know-how to whip up or even ask for other suggestions or other people that could possibly get 218 votes. It's just my way or the highway. I think And the that's reality the problem. That's the tail wagging
2: the dog. Does it not appear, though, based on the votes, that there's not a member in the House that can get 218 votes on this basis, on what we've seen over the last two days? So the last vote: two twelve for McCarthy, two ten for Democrat Hakeem Jeffries, twenty voted for quote other members of the House, and I think still one person voted for Lee Zeldin, who is not seated in the House, and then one voted present. One member in the last vote last night voted present. So there's there, nobody has got two hundred. The requisite two hundred and eighteen to become the Speaker at this point. This just doesn't seem to be uh, a path to that. So I'm not really sure what happens. I I am concerned that Kevin McCarthy continues to make concessions. I I just wonder, is he selling out to this small number just to get this post? Which, no question, he desperately wants. And so I, I get worried that uh, you know, now he's becoming a sellout. Now, you may say, well, he's selling out for the right things, but but what if those right things and those views and, and those demands are, are only important to a handful of people? So he's now agreed that one member, one member can motion for to vacate the speaker chair. One member can stand in the chamber on any given day and say, I make a motion to vacate the speaker chair, and then they'll have a vote. They would literally stop all the business on the floor of the House at any point in time with just one member saying they want to take a vote to... um, to vacate or a vote of confidence in the present speaker. We're coming right back here. Middays is at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capitol Day. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
0: Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: is at the Mississippi Trademark for Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day. And joining us now in the Element Wealth Studios here at the Trademark, Kathy Northington, the chief operating officer of the Mississippi Economic Council. Kathy Good to have you. What a great uh, day it is. Fantastic attendance.
4: Oh, my goodness. I looked at the audience and I was like, we have a full crowd. People are ready to be back.
2: That's great. That's great. We're yeah. So. Anything notable that's happened so far you want to share with us and some of the speaking and panel discussions and so forth?
4: Well, we started it at Hobnob with this almost like a trilogy, this this post-trilogy where we're taking the pulse of the business community. And so at Hobnob, we started with... Um, engaging, and now we're we're collaborating, and on the, all of those panels, you heard how important it's collaborating to yeah. continue the conversation and to work together, and so. We're gonna carry that theme out all the way till annual meeting in April and we're gonna convene. But we're just happy that you know we're at the collaborating stage. Yeah. And if we can keep that that going, I think we're gonna be good.
2: And that's let's explain to the audience. I mean that is in essence the primary, if not the exclusive mission of the Mississippi Economic Council, which is to be a voice for the business community to our lawmakers
4: oh definitely and if you see you'll see polls everywhere for our next meetings we're talking about posts so we're checking the pulse of the business community we're checking the pulse of the educators the you know everyone and we're finding out what they're saying what yeah. they're thinking what they're feeling and we're taking it back to the legislators and saying hey this is what they're saying this is what they want and and it's good information.
2: Yeah, it is. So, what kind of uh, what are you hearing from the legislature? Well, let's just start with this. What uh, uh, what are your priorities from the business? What are they telling you they need from a state perspective?
4: Well, right now we're we're just trying to get um, get the word out that Mississippi is open for business. We're building a workforce. We're pouring into the workforce. We're, we're they're pouring into the infrastructure. They're going to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. The education system. We want to talk about all the great things we have do we have work but they are saying we want to build this workforce we want to work with our business we want to keep them thriving we want to keep our young professionals here and the ones that are here we want to tell them thank you and continue to keep them here so that's what that's what's going on
2: it sure seems like that there's more focus on on that very issue isn't there kathy we've seen our state auditor for example uh offer quite a bit of commentary on on the so-called brain drain he's put in programs for for example, to keep people here in Mississippi uh, with internships and so forth and other incentives uh, at the auditor's office. And and I think there's some other private employers that are participating in in such activities as well. we got great universities, a bunch of them, as a matter of fact, and they're producing fantastic graduates. We want to see more of those uh, stay here and work.
4: Well, what's happening and what we're hearing, there's a lot of them staying here working. There's some leaving, but they're coming back. Yeah. And when we did this tour around the state in the spring, what we heard is a lot of them came back because they have a sense of community here in Mississippi. Yeah, good. And they have family members here, so they left. But there's a lot of people outside of the state said, hey, I'm ready to come back yeah, home. What yeah. do you have there for us? Yeah. And so what we need to do and what we're real- realizing in the business community is we need to let people know what we have out there. Because a lot of times they're like, I didn't know that was here. Yeah. And so we just need to do a better job telling our story and saying what we have here.
2: A bit of uncertainty from an economic perspective Uh, What are you hearing from from members in the business community about uh, the outlook for the next year?
4: Well, they're watching the numbers closely, but they feel like it's going to pick back up because people are... Engaged, And they want us to win, and they want us to thrive. And so I, it's, it's looking. We're, we're picking back up, and we're moving pretty quickly. Good. People are becoming innovative. Yeah, they're, they're being flexible and thinking of new ways. And so it has challenged us, and through challenges, you know, we grow.
2: Yeah. Anything in particular that you're going to be advocating for to the legislature this year uh, from MEC's perspective?
4: Well, right now we're just kind of holding tight, and you, you, they heard about it on the on the panel today, and we're just, right now we're pushing workforce. Okay. And we're, we're just, um, this talent retention with the strategic plan that we're doing, we're going go to go partner with the universities and their alumni associations and these young professionals and people that have left. We're going to find out where they are, and we're going to go to them and say, hey, yeah. what can we do to bring you back? Yeah. And that's what we're pushing more than anything is, These jobs and these businesses that we have here, get them some employable workers, great workers, and get these jobs filled and get these businesses going. So that's what we're doing more than anything is workforce development is
2: Yeah, and uh, I know that you hear it constantly. I do as well. But number one priority of every business out there is I can't get enough people to do the jobs
4: Yes, and, you you know, you heard Dr. Graham talk about saying, hey, we can do the training for you. Just tell us what you want and just incentivize these workers workers and we can do the work and training and um, IHL is the same thing they're saying tell us what you want
2: Yeah, and uh, Ryan Miller's going to be on later with Accelerate Mississippi and of course they, they've done some innovative things as well working with our community colleges, our four year schools, etc. So Sounds all sounds good. Sounds just, like a good plan.
4: We just got to tell the story and and you know don't reinvent the wheel because yeah. there's so many people out there doing the same thing.
2: I got you. Appreciate you coming on, Kathy, and congratulations on another great event, Thank Kathy you. Northington, COO of Mississippi Economic Council. We will step aside for a break on midday's news coming your way. A lot more coming up in the next hour. Stay with us.
4: Thank you.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to midday's hour two of the program live from the Mississippi Trademark. It's Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. That's why we're on location today. Rhino comfortably enshrined in the uh, Super Talk Studios. It's a beautiful day out there today as well, Rhino. It's a uh, fantastic weather. Have you seen this weather coming through? California, like oh, big time, hundred mile an hour winds in San Francisco, trees ripped out of the ground, and and uh, lots of flying debris, etc. And it seems like the storm is just kind of uh, sitting on top of the West Coast. A little unprecedented. Oh my gosh, the climate nuts are going to go crazy, aren't they? On that, they always uh, seem to point to climate change as the cause for. Anything that looks even a bit remote, unusual from a climate perspective. So in the last hour of the program, we were talking about this inability to get a speaker elected in the U.S. House of Representatives. just saw where the House has convened once again for the seventh vote, seventh vote, the first six having failed. Uh, to produce a speaker to elect a speaker 218 votes required kevin mccarthy has received the most but it ain't enough to get to 218 he needs to be named the speaker 212 i think the most he's gotten so far maybe 213 in one of those iterations i lose track Jerry in Waynesboro says if they were not covering this 24-7, this would have been over the first day. Rhino, that's exactly what you said. Is that Oh, this yeah, is it's all the, the look-at-me
3: <laughs> wing of the Republican <laughs> Party
2: saying, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me. Yeah, it uh, it is rather interesting. So among the concessions that uh, Kevin McCarthy has made, and you just wonder how far they keep pushing, once again, a review of this and probably tops the list of concessions, one member, one member in the chamber, in the body, can rise and make a motion to oust the speaker. It would be a motion, I should say, to call for a vote to oust the speaker. The speaker can't be ousted unless the body votes to do so. But the threshold just to get a vote is only one person, and, and more than likely, unless the Speaker's really fouling up, that vote would fail. But there again, Rhino, I worry that somebody's just trying to call attention to themselves. I'm going to stand up today, and I'm going to, by gosh, I'm going to make a motion to call for a vote. And the next thing you know, that's plastered all over every media outlet. <laughs> And it wouldn't come from the minority party, because they know they couldn't get the votes. It'd come from somebody in the same party, in this case the Republican Party. Assuming that a Republican becomes the Speaker, that seems to be a bit in question at this point. But one person can rise, make that motion, stop all the business in the House at that point, and take a vote. And you can just imagine what a circus that would be. Also, uh, he agreed to place more members, he being Kevin McCarthy, of the House Freedom Caucus in in various committee positions, powerful committees specifically, not just any committee, but rather high-powered committees. That's one of the other things. Also, they have um, persuaded him, and I'm not sure how, how much coercion this took, if any, but to bring up a vote on a border plan that has been crafted by members in the, in the uh, chamber in the House from Texas. Now, I haven't seen this plan. I don't know anything about it. But it is being described as controversial. Take that for what it it is. I don't know what that means. Again, haven't reviewed it. And then they want a a, a bill that would uh, allow the members to vote on term limits. Now And also a balanced budget. Now, I think that those are reasonable requests and ideas. It's kind of hard for me to believe that they have to twist his arm for that. But here's the reality. Neither of those have a chance of passing, not a chance, none, not gonna happen. And you could vote, for example, on a balanced budget all dead gum day long, but nobody that I'm aware of has produced a financial plan, an economic analysis that wouldn't show how we get there. Nobody. And I'll tell you why. Because it means you're going to have to make serious changes to Social Security and Medicare. And that's a non-starter. That's the so-called third rail. And nobody's going to go there. We're at a point now, the way mandatory and discretionary spending comprises our total budget, you could cut nearly 80% of the entire discretionary portion of the budget, which would include the Department of Defense, 80%, just to balance the budget, 80%. Not small, well, just take a dollar here and there, 1% and all that sort of stuff. No. You would have to cut 80% of all of government, excluding Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and interest, which we're not going to default on our interest if we do the global economy collapses. If the US fails to make good on its interest payment and debt payment obligations, goodbye economy, goodbye world. Ain't gonna happen. And we're on pace right now for interest on the debt to be six hundred billion dollars. Fifty billion a month. Just light a match to it. Fifty billion because of these reckless spending policies you can't just hang that totally on Democrats when you got 18 Republicans in the Senate who just signed off on this omnibus spending bill just so they could get all their pork projects, their pet projects. Uh, and I think others have cut deals with Senator Mitch McConnell, the, the minority leader, I think in anticipation of the Senate flipping to Republican control in 2024. Uh, you know, there's, it's the old backroom deal stuff. But those are the concessions that have been made thus far. It could, if you think about it, truly weaken whomever the eventual speaker is. Their, their power, their authority. That may be okay. I'm certainly not for... Uh, the way that Speaker Pelosi handled it on the ceasefire text line didn't Senator Wicker vote for that? He did. Senator Wicker is one of the 18 who supported the omnibus bill. Also supported the infrastructure act, the the uh, chips bill. Three of those did not support the Inflation Reduction Act, we should note. No Republicans did. That was passed totally on partisan lines. Thomas and Greenwood says, so keep kicking the can? No, not at all, Thomas. And I've been very clear on this program that unless we have serious discussions and put action in place to reform, mandatory spending which includes social security medicare medicaid there is no chance on god's green earth to balance the budget meaning produce no deficits meaning add add nothing to the debt but as soon as you start talking about it even if you're in front of a strongly conservative audience uh, you are absolutely lambasted from a political perspective. Just bringing it up, as I have here today, you, you just it's, it goes nowhere. And oh my gosh, they're going. And then the Democrats run around, as they did very effectively in the midterms. Those Republicans are taking away your Social Security and your Medicare. No, the two or three that have actually voiced concerns about it and proposed action, such as Senator Rick Scott in Florida, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, I think they're the responsible ones. They're the ones who said, we need to take a look at these programs. They're not sustainable. In fact, by... Having a serious, meaningful discussion for reform, you're actually protecting, seeking to protect their future, not eliminate it, as Joe Biden tells the rank and file, and they believe it, and they go vote Democrat. That's the, that's why we run trillion dollar deficits, why we have 31 trillion in debt. Uh, Everybody wants somebody else to feel the pain in order to achieve that goal. So you can pass the bill all day long, but how you get to that balanced budget, nobody's yet offered a plan that I've seen. If they have, please provide it to me. Unbelievable. We're coming right back. We're in the Element Well Studios down at the Mississippi Trademark. Stay with us. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Middays. We're at the Mississippi Trademark once again for Mississippi Economic Council's annual Capital Day. This is when the State Chamber of Commerce gets uh, together with members of the legislature and statewide leaders and discusses their agenda and their needs. For the business community, we've got uh, Scott Waller, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council, joining us in the 1150 segment. We're doing a little switcheroo on the schedule here. Going to get uh, Speaker Pro Tem, Jason White, and Trey Lamar, Representative Trey Lamar, on the program in the next hour. In the next segment, Ryan Miller, Executive Director of Accelerate Mississippi, joins us. So we're... Swapping the times up a little bit, and that works just fine. I think they had some unexpected speaking engagements at the Capitol, did the representatives. So we're good to go. On the ceasefire text line, while we're talking about billions, let's talk about the millions Mississippi is leaving on the table by not having mobile sports betting. Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee all have the option to wager online. 25% decrease in money wagered in Mississippi since those states passed mobile wagering. For example, Colorado residents in November wagered 453000 at casinos, but over 37 million through online wagers, with only three million residents, Mississippi should be tapping into all their available resources. That from Blake in the Delta. Interesting, you bring that point up from a timing perspective. Blake had a discussion with a state senator about this very issue last night, uh, working through this matter and, and asking me some uh, questions about some of the technical. In the technology aspects of providing online and mobile sports betting services by the casinos. You know, I did ask specifically, Blake, to your question, I did ask this particular senator if they'd done any research on uh, the, the amount of money being wagered, expected to be wagered through mobile sports betting and the amount of money that would be produced for the state. And also uh, any leakage to other states, folks in Mississippi crossing over, for example, into Louisiana and Arkansas. And what I can report, and I have not seen the the data on this in writing, if you will, but what this particular senator said who has done this research is that the amount of money we're talking about here that would, that would uh, flow to the state is minimal, minimal. And the amount of leakage... As measured to neighboring states, is also minimal. That this is really more of a of a convenience to constituents who have asked for it. So I, I really haven't researched it personally. So I, I read your text. It has one opinion on this, and then I also talked to a state senator who is actually for this, by the way, who is pushing this, and did that research and has collected that data and has it in hand and I'll see if we can get more about that but but right now they're just working through the process and I think it's best if it uh, kind of remains uh, at that level at this point uh, so I you know if you look at the amount of money produced by casino gaming to the state that that's actually fairly minimal as part of the percentage of the overall budget it's 90 million dollars or so a year uh it's just it's not significant i mean that's not nothing i'm not suggesting that but it's uh i think the economic impact of the casino businesses themselves is far greater than the taxes that flow to the state the, the gaming taxes of course the the local communities and jurisdictions do receive A chunk of that as well, I think the total amount produced last year was about $250 million last time I looked at it in gaming taxes, and that gets a portion between the state, I don't remember the exact ratio, and the uh, localities, the local jurisdictions, where the casinos are located. So I do think that's been uh, very much welcomed Dollars to the to, at the local level more so than to the state level. Paula Meridian says I've read that Mississippi's medical marijuana program is falling way short on patients that have signed up. Hmm. I haven't seen any reports on that, Paul. So I'm not doubting you there. Uh, I have not uh, interviewed uh, anybody at this point uh, recently. I should say on the medical marijuana program. I do think that uh, Paul Gallo had an interview, if I'm not mistaken, last week, right, with the executive director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. Don't you recall that as well, seeing that, Rhino? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So I haven't heard any report. I mean, it's just getting going. So it would seem to be it's a little early to me, Paul, to uh, really take anything away from the present level of service and, and sales figures and so forth it's i mean it's evolving it's seasoning it's brand new it's out of the gate so i don't know that i'd be too it would be too prudent to make any judgment about that uh, at this point Thomas and Greenwood said, I remember when casinos was going to fix all our ills. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say that. I, I don't recall that. I really don't remember anybody saying, hey, if we, um, if we legalize casino gambling in Mississippi, we are absolutely going to be flush with money and every single issue we have in the state. i will be gozillionaires, right? I don't remember that, i got to tell you. Uh, and a lot of people like to point to that. Now, people who... Advocated for casino gambling. Of course, they, I think, espoused the benefits of it. Um, did they embellish that a bit? Well, of course, politicians do that all the time. But I don't. I, a lot of people like to point to it and say that. And Thomas says it was sold as that in the 90s. I was here in the 90s, Thomas. I don't remember it being sold to that degree that somebody stood up and said this will as you said fix all our ills if you've got some information on that where somebody said this will absolutely cure every problem in the state of Mississippi that is passing casino uh, gaming in the state legalizing it Send that to me. I I don't recall that. I do recall it being promoted as something good and beneficial for the state. And who could deny that it has not been? I mean, you could certainly take the casinos out of the equation in Mississippi. Let's just assume for today we didn't have casino gaming. I, I think it's pretty clear the Mississippi Gulf Coast would be a shell of itself, honestly, from an economic perspective. And it is true that the... That the um, uh, the coastal schools all rate very high across the board in the state. It will fix education funding. Joe and Oxford said is what they said. That is not what they said, Joe. What they said was it would provide additional funding for education. I don't think anybody said this would absolutely fix it because that would mean you'd have to generate about ten times more in taxes, casino gaming taxes. Then we, then we presently assign and and allocate to education from the general fund. It's it's 80 million bucks uh, to to apply to a total education funding budget of about 2.6 billion. It's just—it's just never going to fix education funding. It does it add to the pot? Absolutely. And if—and if somebody actually said this will totally fix whatever that means, education funding, I'd like to know that. And we, and we can go down this rabbit hole all day long. We're, I, I, this is so old news. Honestly, we probably shouldn't even spend any time on it. Ben from Madison said, "I think Ken Newberger, who's the executive director, or I'm not sure exactly his title, might be the president of the Mississippi Medical." marijuana association said they want 100 to 150,000 patients certified to keep the industry afloat so far only 1300 or so okay i got you ben thank you for reporting on that for informing us of that have been certified ultimately it will drive cost up and businesses will close if the industry doesn't have enough patients to support the program i totally agree and i'm not honestly sure how all those projections were were made i don't i don't know how the industry not just the association but the industry the industry players i'm not sure what their methodology and their source was for projecting right the number of patients who would show up but this is a private industry and a lot of these folks made significant investments in the various aspects of the industry the, uh, the growing, the testing, the processing, the retail, the distribution, et cetera. So, look, that's the free market at work as far as I'm concerned. Now, if there's some sort of regulatory framework that's really hampering patients from signing up and being customers, yeah, that bears further discussion, and uh, the legislature should, should certainly take that up because it's it's a legal industry, and they need to ensure the regulatory framework does not impede their ability to succeed like any Industry. It's time for a break here on um, midday's. We're at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. I think we've got Ryan Miller, Executive Director of Accelerate Mississippi, in the Element Well Studios next.
3: Attention, Adoring Fans! It's time
0: for. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well,
3: the bless my soul, but what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man
5: on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug, I'm in love.
2: The Kang bumping us into this segment here on middays. We are at the Mississippi Trade Barn for. The Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios here in the corridors, just outside the doors of the main meeting room here at the Trademark, is Ryan Miller, Executive Director of Accelerate Mississippi. Ryan, always
6: good to see you. Thanks for coming on Middays. Thank you for having me. Good morning. It's exciting to be here.
2: Well, I tell you, great attendance. We just had Kathy Northington on in the last hour, the COO of the MEC. It's so good when you get business leaders folks from the education community of course our legislators and state leaders and they all come together this is the way to get things done i think we get more done when we get these folks together than when it's just a small group of of legislators no disrespect to them but when they can interact and hear feedback and needs and so forth uh, uh, from uh, the business community and uh, the uh, as they do here at mec hopefully that is a valuable input into the lawmaking process.
6: You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think if you've heard any any uh, uh, thread or a common theme this morning, it's been consistency in our conversation. Uh, and and it, the more that we do this, and I'm grateful to MEC, to, to Scott and to Kathy and their whole team to continually understand that bringing us all together, uh, policy leaders, educators, business leaders, having this conversation on a routine, habitual level is really, really important. And this is a great example of, of uh, having tough conversations at times and also being able to brainstorm uh, solutions to some of the problems we're facing as a state. No doubt about it. So Kathy
2: said that, of course, it seems like every time you and I are together, we already know this, that the, the, the main concern... And the biggest challenge employers have is getting an employable, qualified, and
6: reliable workforce. Right. Right. It, it is a problem. And it's certainly something that at Accelerate, we're, we're facing every single day, trying to, to develop strategies that we know will work in our local communities and, and all across the state of Mississippi. Uh, one of the things I talked about this morning was the development of and kind of further solidification of our ecosystem uh, structure, being able to have teammates from our office who live in the different parts of the state of Mississippi to make sure that we have direct access to the community-specific needs of our communities and making sure that, as a a representative of the state, I can serve uh, with whatever resources we've been blessed with by our leadership, make sure that we are meeting those needs each and every day through our ecosystem structure. And we're excited to see that solidification continue to take place.
2: The challenge in the past, Ryan, it seems, is that you had employers who had specific needs from a skills perspective mm-hmm. uh, and a qualifications perspective. And, and then you had our more traditional education community that sometimes were producing graduates or even curricula that ne-
6: didn't necessarily align with those needs of the private sector. Right, right. And I think what you're seeing now is education is really stepping up. I'm excited to see a lot of our K-12 through partners uh, aligning with some of you the know, program we're very excited about this year is our career coach program that's helping educators to connect with uh, industry in their communities, and more importantly, connect students and their families to the, all the opportunities that exist. Going to college, you and I, we have a love for Ole Miss. Sure. Going to Ole Miss is great. That's a plan A. Going to a community college is also a plan A, or going directly into the workforce is a plan A. And I think one yeah. of the challenges over the years is that we haven't, we haven't communicated those opportunities enough to the people that need to hear it. These career coaches now throughout the entire state okay. have the opportunity of doing that and Helping those industries get connected to the people they uh, that, that will come to work for them. Much needed. Glad to hear that. Yeah, you know, I think
2: that makes total sense. And folks just need they just need some guidance. They do, you know. And it, it's a, it's a big, complex, somewhat convoluted world, and where you land and what best fits you is is not just something that uh, is is in the recipe book, if you will.
6: It's so. not. It's not. And I think parents need to understand this too. One of the things I've been most excited. There there are roughly 140 plus career coaches now deployed throughout the state. Uh, I think we, uh, uh, through a grant through uh, ARPA last year, I'm grateful to the Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Speaker of the House, Representative Donnie Bell, uh, Senator David Parker, they helped us procure funding to deploy these 125 career coaches, but you're starting to see, we're seeing results coming back of those coaches having interactions with parents and their children. Okay. And I'll, I'll share a quick aside, Gerard, this is something I think I've mentioned before, but it's important. My own child, I overheard her having a conversation with friends just a few months ago she's 12 yeah she they said uh, Shirley Kate, are you going to go to college where are you going to go to college she said well and of course my heart sang, I'm probably going to go to old miss but then she said unsolicited by me although I might get a technical degree and go to work okay that's- this is a 12 year old very smart young lady that's starting to see all the options just because she's heard dad talk about them imagine if we had shepherds like these career coaches who are constantly communicating with their students where they could go and what they could do that's all awesome. possibilities.
2: That, well, uh, yeah, and you know that could be literally life changing at that point. Absolutely, it, can. it should be, because you don't want to see any person who launches their career get out and figure out this really wasn't suited for me and have to
6: start over. Right, and, uh, that that's um, unproductive and it's painful. Sure, sure. In fact, I would encourage parents and talking with their children, or even grandparents talking with their children, really help them at earlier and earlier ages help a student understand. Let's find the inner intersection between the things for which we have passion, things we enjoy, but let's look to see where the intersection is with where they have natural ability. Yeah. And then if you look on the job market horizon to see where that those two things align with potential job opportunities, then all of a sudden that pathway becomes much more tangible uh, and much more identifiable and you can better help and coach a student in the right direction. Totally makes sense. So I, I got to, as I usually do when you and
2: I talk, uh, is discuss and point out. What appears to me to be just a wonderful environment at the community university. Yes. Uh, it just looked to me when I did the show up there and got a tour uh, that it
6: just should be the model that we implement throughout the state. Sure. I think in community university and East Mississippi Community College, that's a great example of a community, uh, a community college, uh, economic development, uh, community leaders. They recognize that if they can coalesce their resources, focus their energy together in a single Place with industry around, um, you're, you're going to see a lot of collaboration that's going to both provide for the immediate needs of industry in that area. But what you also see, and where I get excited, is you see a pipeline develop, pathway develop, where more and more students are getting shepherded into the community university. Uh, whether it's uh, adult learners coming back for new skills, yeah. whether it's uh, young people uh, tackling, uh, you know, perhaps some some uh, educational paths that that are, have just been made available to them. But what you see is, the, is an ecosystem, in my opinion, that's functioning. Functioning and really coming together and coalescing in, with a single vision. Uh,
2: the thing, of course, that impressed me the most is something we touched on at the top of the segment, which is you, you see the private sector and the education community Working together, integrating, and, and understanding
6: each other, and then and then building these systems and these in these curricula that makes sense. Well, and and I, I think you're right. And one of, one of the other success stories that I shared this morning, just a, you know, maybe 48 hours ago, you saw news coming from Pearl River Community College. We partnered with Pearl River uh, with a workforce enhancement training fund in the last year, where they now have a funding to help uh, facilitate advanced manufacturing training okay. that they weren't able to do before. And so companies like. Cold in the Hattiesburg area now have access to uh, state-of-the-art training for their their incumbent workers along with new employees I think uh, just in the short time frame that that's been operational they've had almost 300 people go through that and they're also seeing that as a result of that training they now have higher wages higher jo- uh, sure. earning potential uh, that's it that's an example of a community college like the community the Pearl River Community College working with Accelerate working with ADP their local economic development or community leaders again to, to work together that's what MEC is this capital day is about people coming together sharing ideas yeah. and coming up with a single plan together and that those are the outcomes that we want absolutely obviously, when, when we see
2: that uh, sort of success yes All right, so from a, a legislative perspective uh, perspective.
6: Uh, Ryan, anything that uh, you're advocating for? We are. Uh, you know, we, you heard me talking about our career coach program. Um, again, I'm grateful to uh, uh, Governor Reeves and, and, and Lieutenant Governor Hoseman for helping us procure funding through ARPA, and again Donnie Bell and David Parker. It was one-time money that we we're able to hire and locate 125 uh, plus career coaches. We think this is so transformative. Half the school districts, districts in the state now have access to a career coach. Well, the entire state needs access to a career coach. So we need to have an increase in career coach funding, and it's got to be permanent dollars, because the one thing I've learned is a good idea, if it's not consistently deployed, is is not going to last very long. So we will be advocating with our partners, with, uh, again, Chairman Bell and Ch- Chairman Parker, uh, to find ways in which we can uh, uh, procure that permanent funding to expand that what we think is going to be a transformative program. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Uh, great
2: attendance here at this event. It always is, the MEC a fantastic job of putting this on and, and just the the collection and the range of people uh, that come here and then many of them head over to the capitol they afterwards do. they do uh it, it's good to see that we have an active uh economic council and active chamber of commerce at the state level if you will it's pretty important
6: i think uh nec does an incredible job and i think that their accolades their national accolades they've just received yeah. as a testament to their hard work and their dedication to their home state so we're just Excited to be a partner with them, to be uh, exposed to this, and to, to be a part of the conversation. It's a joy and a privilege.
2: Yeah, totally agree. So, appreciate you coming on, Ryan. Always good to talk to you and uh, impressed with all the great work you guys do. Keep keep it up. Thank you very much. Thank appreciate you, Ryan it. Miller, the executive director of Accelerate Mississippi. We're stepping aside for a break here on a Middays. When we come back, it's Scott Waller, president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. To midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Mississippi trademark for the Mississippi Economic Council's Capitol Day. Most of the folks here have headed over to the Capitol, engaged, I'm sure, in discussions about uh, what the legislature needs to take up that could promote business in the economy here in the state of Mississippi. You heard, of course, the Speaker of the House on our show yesterday say that full elimination of the income tax is his top priority for the session as it was last session. Came up a bit short on that, but I thought made some headway in the bill we got to at least start to chip away at that. Uh, Income tax, when it's all said and done, we'll end up with a flat rate of 4% on all income above $10,000 taxable income I should say not gross income taxable income that's after you apply your deductions and so forth so with uh, the event here was fantastic guys it a uh, lot of folks here that truly do care about the state I think the Mississippi Economic Council does a fantastic job putting this event on it is a lot of work behind the scenes to make it happen they do a great job in that and, uh, and and the main thing is they make all of our state leaders accessible in one place. And I think that's important when you get them certainly outside of the Capitol whether, where they're busy taking care of, of business and you get them away from that. And it's uh, more of a social type atmosphere where you can interact with the members. And the state leaders, I think that's important, and that's a, an an important and valuable role that the Mississippi Economic Council plays, and so we're grateful for that. Thomas and Greenwood says uh, that uh, the legislature uh, so fix right. The folks were saying that we pass this um, casino gambling. Enabled authorized casino gambling in the state that there were many pledges of fixing everything Some people said that Thomas. What did you say here fixing roads and bridges somebody said no? We were supposed to have the best roads and bridges uh, Ever yeah here. We go Jeff and Grenada. I remember where casino passage guaranteed Mississippi to have best schools and roads Okay well, I don't know what best is exactly. I can simply say this. that well, That's a very subjective evaluation, measurement, best. I don't know how you go about measuring that. And I will simply say this. If, if those who promoted and advocated for authorizing, legalizing casino gaming in the state, if members of the legislature and statewide leaders actually did make those sorts of commitments... Well, they got out over their skis. It it's, w- wouldn't be prudent for anyone to say, yeah, if we just pass this casino gaming, we will have the best roads in schools. We will absolutely fix everything. And anybody who believed that, honestly, should uh, really rethink what that the level of that commitment was so if they over promised and under delivered that's fairly common in politics um but uh it it doesn't make it right i'm not condoning it we shouldn't keep doing it just because well that's what everybody always does i uh it's kind of like that crazy guy santos up in new york that got elected based on a complete fabrication of his entire life. He serves in the U.S. House of Representatives, and he's being called out for his rather prolific lying and uh, just making up his entire life's history, his work history, his education history, etc. And And he was a bit defiant and flippant about it when he was interviewed and said, well, you know all politicians do that. Well, that doesn't make it right. And that's no justification for en- engaging in uh, that sort of fraudulent activity just because everybody else does it. That's what 10-year-olds do. So that's if those commitments were made with respect to casino gaming, that this will fix everything, we'll have the best roads and bridges, this will fund in, in schools, this will fund education, well, that was short-sighted and it was just flat-out wrong and... Um, making a promise that could never be kept, because the passing <laughs> enacting a law that legalized casino gaming was never going to uh, achieve that. Gary and Meridian said casino advocates push jobs. Well, Gary, think that's that did occur? You seen the number of people that work in the casinos? It's a bunch. I I still would submit that it was the right thing to do it was it was uh i think a good law and good policy for the state uh, do you guys oppose casino gaming i think it's been great for our economy and i think the coast would look totally different if we didn't have casino gaming uh it's been a boon for that uh for that area of the state and we've all benefited from the taxes and the economic impact that that's had I, I think that's good. We're coming right back after the news comes your way. We've got Senator Josh Harkins here at the Mississippi Trademark. Stay with us.
0: And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin
3: your transition now.
0: Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live at the Mississippi Trademark for the Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day. And joining us now is Senator Josh Harkins. He represents District 20. That includes Rankin County. He is the chairperson. Of the all-important Senate Finance Committee. It is important. Good
7: afternoon. <laughs> good yeah.
2: to see you, Senator. Thanks for joining us. So, great crowd on hand today. The MEC a does
7: a great job. They always bring bring a big crew to, to the Capitol, and that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, and it's especially good, as we've been discussing on the program, when uh, one of the few times, if not the only time, uh, during the year that we get the lawmakers, state leaders, folks from the business community, the education community, all come together under one roof so to speak and I I think the social interaction, honestly, as part of this, is as important as anything. It's important, and, and I, I,
7: when I gave some remarks to to the group a little while ago, I told them, that, you know, I appreciate them being here, and I appreciate their input because the the stuff that we uh, do here year in year out, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. They're the ones that have to live with the, uh, the the legislation, the policy we put forward, and that's where we find out, hey, this may not be working as well as we thought, or hey, here's an idea for for policy. To, to help make the environment better for us to prosper and grow. And that's ultimately what we want to do is we want to make sure that the economic environment in our state is one that will help our businesses to grow and prosper and flourish and be successful.
2: Right, and, and they do a great job. And that we had Kathy uh, Northington on earlier, the COO of the Mississippi. Here she comes, walking down the hall, yeah. COO of the Mississippi Economic Council. We had Ryan Miller, and, and both seem to have a, a pretty high degree of focus. Ryan Miller, of course, with Accelerate Mississippi, on getting our workforce ready for the jobs that our employers are looking for. Yeah, the, uh, Ron's doing a great job, and there's a lot. It was a lot to unpack
7: uh, in, in this position, kind of creating Accelerate and and what they're. Trying to accomplish, and I think it, it, it takes partnerships. And, and uh, when I was speaking to MEC a little while ago, you know, I told them that what we're doing is kind of like uh, when you grew up and you went roller skating. They had a couple of slow skate, and you had a couple out there, and everybody was having to look out for everybody else. And you're trying to manage, you know, make sure your partner doesn't fall. And then all of a sudden, the DJ tells you to switch directions, and you're going in a completely different direction. <laughs> so it takes a lot of it's a lot of moving parts, but it takes a lot of different groups, a lot of different organizations to help uh, this thing run and, and to be successful. And, It's not just, you know, accelerate. It's not just education. It's not just, uh, you know, different agencies or or whatever we're trying to call it. It's it's a collective group of all of them uh, pulling in the same direction. I think we've got a lot of collaboration with our schools and our uh, career coaches. And I met two today that just, you know, it was fascinating to me that I'd never really thought of. I I knew from my background in construction, I've, I've had guys that you know were uh doing a job that was really just a, a a dead-end job in the sense that there wasn't really a whole lot of promotion that was going to happen with it but what they found out was they learned to trade and they were able to uh kind of perfect that trade and and do it well and, and make a great living and and she was telling me that not only that's the case but you know you've got kids that are, are being held back by their parents or they're being held back in the sense that you know their parents rely on them to do things and and these kids have to understand that they can go out and do things and, and be successful. And so there are a lot of challenges that that, – and I've never really heard that perspective. I've never thought about that. But uh, there's a lot of different challenges that they – uh, encounter and, and they're doing a great job. And I think that there's only, uh, you know, skies the limit. That's going to be a big, big help to our industries and in hiring people because not everybody's, you know, fit to go to college. Not everybody's going to go and, and do that, uh, take that track. And, yeah. And there's, there are a lot of jobs that are available for young men and women uh, out of high school with some proper training, with uh, a little bit of extra training that they can go and do and be
2: uh, very happy and productive members of society and, and have a good job. You know, the way Ryan described that I, I thought was very appropriate and there was a time i think in, when you and i were coming through plan a was always go to college go, uh, that was the minimum then you, well, was you got your master's right uh, exactly uh and ryan said you know plan a may be going to work straight out of high school it may be going to um to trade school it could be going to a community college yeah. and, and getting uh, an education there and, and he's so right and I think we're seeing a lot of employers uh, these days, Senator, that aren't as concerned about that degree, uh, the linear degree that you achieve. They're, they're not totally discounting it but they're they got to fill their needs today any yeah. need people who can do the work today it's kind of like sports are you coachable uh, will right. you show up
7: yeah will you be dependable are you you know soft skills yeah soft skills mm-hmm. it's it's you know kind of the basics. just if you can check a few of the boxes they can mold you in and and fit you into a career that's that uh, will offer success and, and opportunity and so uh, i think that 's the that 's the job that ryan is is trying to uh, tackle and i think you know there are a lot of partners like i said you know not only our our k through twelve but our community colleges, our universities,
2: they all play a role in it. No it? doubt. Well, uh, one of our regular listeners, Paul in Meridian, just texted in and said, there are no appliance technicians left. Paul is an appliance technician. And uh, I know that based on the reports he provides on the text line here, he stays busy, busy. as you can imagine. I yeah. know you're in that business as well. And, and deal with that. And I know we've had some needs at, at my house as well. Yeah, <laughs> we need, need more. Let, let your dishwasher, washing machine go out and find out how bad it is.
7: Uh, yeah, I mean it's jobs like that. I mean, you know, small businesses that you can create by doing something like that is, um, you know, that's where the opportunities lie. And Paul's exactly right. You know, there's a there's a shortage of a lot of trade uh, skills that uh,
2: that we need that can fill a, a void. It's just, a, it's just a change in mindset, I think, as much as anything, that, that there's certainly no shame. In fact, there's, uh, I would say it's noble if you make the decision. If a person says, you know, I don't think going to college is necessarily the right fit to me, and you decide to enter uh, one, of, one of these sorts of vocations, heck we need that and yeah. guess what you can make pretty dang you can make good, make really money good money really good money really good money i mean i and I, not be in debt going to college no <laughs> absolutely not and look
7: your your friends are still in their third fourth year of college and you could be out making sixty, seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars a year by then uh three years into it and um yeah i mean it, look it's it's about uh opportunity it's about having the uh, the skills that you know what we're trying to do is prepare people to go into the workforce, to be successful, to have everything in front of them, the tools, everything should be there for them to go and be successful. Yeah. It's just going to take, uh, on on behalf of the student, of the, the young man or young woman,
2: the initiative to go and do it and, and seize the, the opportunity. High demand, of course, for uh, the STEM disciplines, science, technology, engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're starting to see more uh, high schools, even at the K-12 through level. Starting to implement, implement programs it. focused on that. Coding. Uh, right. all kind of uh, stuff that's being uh, put out there that wasn't available when I was
7: in
6: yeah. uh, high school. Yeah,
2: and, and these folks are, are getting trained up so that they are ready to, to hit the workforce and be productive day one, and which is what employers want. Yeah. Uh, they need to fill these jobs, and they need to fill them with people who can produce and do the work yeah uh, right off the bat so uh, i'm glad to see so many of our schools taking that initiative i just talked to ryan miller about the community community university at east mississippi community college which is I got to tell you, Senator, we ought to be doing that across the state. Yeah, I think
7: we're going to find uh, through through the efforts of what Ron and his group at Accelerator doing. I think there's going to create a lot of opportunities to do to change some things up. I mean, you know, the goalpost in education should always be moving. We should never just set a goal and reach it and think we've done it. Yeah. Uh, we've done our job. Uh, when I got elected, I think our graduation rate was somewhere in the mid to low seventy yeah. percent, and now we're above the national average. We're I mean, we we you know oh we'd like to get to the national average. Well, we've exceeded that. And we're going to continue to strive to do better and better uh, by these kids. But uh, I think that that's what I'm excited about with Ron and and his group at Accelerate. I think they're going to be bringing forward some ideas and some opportunities that will change the way we deliver education, just like – everything in our society is changing the way we deliver products i mean when i was in high school i never would have thought that you would rent your car or your house out to some stranger on the the computer (laughs) um there's just things that have evolved that are opening doors that we never really thought were possible or thought that would be uh, the way that we would go about uh, living our day-to-day uh, in our day-to-day world, but I think there are going to be some opportunities that will be uh, provided for by by Ron and some others, and I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to help, and I think it's, it's going to uh, prepare um, our students and our businesses to succeed. That's you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a benefit to what he's doing, and that's for our businesses to, to grow and flourish. And that's well, what we want here.
2: Well, it's a great point because the private sector, clearly, as you just indicated, it's very dynamic and always evolving and always innovating. Well, the, the education world has to correspond with that. They got to match that. They got to be dynamic. They got to pivot. They, they got to change. They got to adjust as well. So, all right. So the you guys have been in session now. This would be day three. (laughs) Day three, day three already here and underway. Uh, We got about a minute left in this segment. Will can you stay for another segment? Okay, Uh, and we'll talk uh, further about that. But we got, I know, a, a long slate of uh, initiatives and priorities that you guys are going to be addressing and we will discuss that sure. on the other side of the break. You're perched up on uh, Maine and Broadway here. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's all day. <laughs> We've got Senator Josh Harkins the senator from Rankin County. He chairs the Senate Finance Committee. We're stepping aside for a break on middays. We're at the Mississippi Trademark for the MEC Capital Day. Stay with us.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. D-d-d-dow. Now, onto the real part. Dino Mike. on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Hey, hey, Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. At the Mississippi Trademark today for the Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day, joining us now in the Element Well Studios, set up here in the corridors of the Mississippi Trademark, is the lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi. Delbert Hoseman, Lieutenant Governor, good to see you, sir. See you. Thanks for coming Mark. by. Thank Appreciate you. you making time to visit with us. Great event here today, and a great venue.
8: Yeah, they have all the business leaders in town, and uh, I remember when Cindy Had Smith was pushing to get this done, and it turned out really, really nice. It's been, it's very nice for everybody. I thank you. Venue, come
2: on, yeah. If you haven't yeah. been here, come on. Yeah, absolutely. I I can remember years past being in the Coliseum, uh, and that it just wasn't really set up for no. this kind of event. And then yeah. of course the the old trademark I rem, uh, trademarked I remember from my business days having events there, and it got to the point where honestly it was a little embarrassing. Uh, it was a little rough, and the floors were uh, <laughs> uneven. But
8: uh, I, mostly I remember when er, every August they had the hunting show down there, Yeah. and that was the biggest pack we had when that occurred. Now it's over here. But no, they've they've torn that down, and the state has actually acquired the property between here and uh, the interstate. And so we're expanding, oh. our, you know, where it would be more more helpful to agriculture and really a front door to the city. So there's a lot of planning going on for that, and I, it's it's just going to be very special. This is a probably the jewel of it right here.
2: And I believe I, I heard a report anecdotally that. Mm-hmm. Um, Commissioner Gibson said this thing sold out for like a year. I know. I mean, it's really good. So we need to raise the rent, man. I don't know. I'm <laughs> for that. If demand is exceeding yeah, supply, fine. you ought to there be able go. to go up on the rent. Yeah, you're they in the private sector. You know how <laughs> that works. That's how it works. That's <laughs> how it works. Until <laughs> <laughs> they say no. <laughs> that's but. absolutely.
8: Until nobody calls, and you, that's when you hit the strike.
2: <laughs> I like it. All right. Third day yeah. in session. Mm-hmm. What's uh what are you hearing? What's on tap? What are your priorities for the session? Well we have um I did about
8: eight Eight or ten bills yesterday. I have about fifty or sixty on my desk today, and I don't know if you know how this all works, but um, the bills are determined by the senators, written by staff downstairs, come up to our office, and then we assign them to committees. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to do that in like 24 to 48 hours or so to do the assignments. And I, I try to stay pretty close to that deadline. Uh, we, we got a lot of bills to be in by January the 11th. That's the first filing deadline. And then we'll go on from there. Then the committee reports are due. Then we got a report to the House. So it's funny how that just, it just on its own, it carries its own momentum through yeah. there. Well, you'll see bills on, um, well, we, as you know, uh, our individual income tax, uh, was greater than the amount we budgeted. And so I want to give, give the money back to the people that sent it to me. So we're, we're looking at a big tax rebate, about $270 million this year. I've been, um, you know, real concerned about rural hospitals. I was in Greenwood a couple of weeks ago and went through their hospital and looking at what we can do. And I've been meeting with the <clears throat> powers that be that have money here in Mississippi in healthcare. And I think we're, we'll have some, uh, some, some, at least some temporary solutions for that. Long term, it's much harder. So you'll see some stuff on that. Um, you'll see us doing some mandatory sentencing, Gerard. I've been looking at the court. Uh, at the court documents, and I see people who have uh, um, carjacked a car, and uh, they're sentenced to five years, five years suspended. They don't get anything, and I, I just think that's wrong, um, particularly in today's society. So you'll see some bills coming out of the Senate anyway on mandatory on mandatory sentencing for items that like carjacking, arm carjacking, those kinds of things that that are, unfortunately, becoming more proliferate around here and out in the state, too. It applies to all of the state. Real interested in infrastructure. Um, We did a $100 million for roads and bridges, county roads and bridges, last year. I think we're trying to do the same amount again this year. So you'll you'll see a lot, I think, of uh, discussions about the the amount of money. We've got $1.4 billion. Uh, that didn't happen by accident. Uh, we cut the budget two years ago. We have shrunk the size of government by 3,000 employees and since you hired me and uh, we paid off after this year we'll have paid off 600 million dollars in debt
2: didn't borrow last year we
8: didn't borrow any money we're not going to borrow any money this year
2: yeah so we're good it's certainly the balance sheet of the state you know, oh, maybe may the best it's been and absolutely and you'd have to acknowledge though to some extent that was some one-time money that we received that's correct uh from the federal government of course but the state's economy uh, it's, it's still fair, fairly stable. We're not really seeing any <clears throat> instability in the economy. And I, I would uh, say, Lieutenant Governor, that to a great extent, I always felt like this even when I was in business, it's because of the diversity of our economy. We don't we rely aren't. too terribly much on one single industry. And right. those industries that exist in our state uh, aren't too sensitive to macroeconomic situations. That's correct. I mean, we have a big
8: agricultural product. Here and uh, those commodities are relatively stable, and the, um, they move around a lot, but they're relatively stable in usage. So we um, we we have good agriculture. Our Ingalls on the coast is you know been has ships uh, under contract for years in advance. And so you see around the state, our our automobile manufacturers are uh, you know they're full throttle mm-hmm. right now. So we, you know we have a, a relatively stable i 'm talking to my realtors though and i 'm getting the first signs of people not buying a house yeah and that 's kind of the tentacles out here you you start are you know, still selling as many houses well when it went to six or seven percent or whatever that it is right now uh, you start you start, people start looking at their whole card to see if they had enough money on their monthly to pay that. So I think we're seeing slowdown here. I think we're in a recession. I think we'll be in a longer one. I don't see us getting out of it this year. But thank goodness we don't have the lows like everybody right. else. And we don't have that. I guess maybe the have sometimes. That's is. right. Put this in perspective, Gerard, uh, California's got a $25 billion saw deficit. That. Yeah, <laughs> so we have $2 billion in the
2: bank. So what do you think? You in know? what, $100 billion annual budget. I think they got about 25%. Deficit, and a couple years ago they had a big surplus, but they spent
8: it all. Our our budget is six billion, and we got two billion billion surplus, and so we 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 really are seeing this state uh, under the leadership that we've got here run like a business, just like you used to do your business, and it's um, it's just. Proven fruitful, man. You're seeing the fruits of a lot of hard work. We we cut the budget two years ago. We shrunk the size of government. We pay down debt, so
2: we're we're ready for a recession. And if it doesn't occur, then we're really going to look good. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask you about uh, a matter that didn't get across the finish mm-hmm. line last year, and, mm-hmm. and that was the. Uh, citizen ballot initiative process. Yeah. We had a bill in the House to pass the House, bill in the Senate passed the Senate. Main distinctions, of course, were the number of signatures required to qualify a measure. The Senate wanted a higher threshold on that. Uh, but n- neither body would accept the others and we didn't get a, uh, a law passed. What do you think about that this session? Uh...
8: Yeah, the, uh, I think the Senate and the House agreed, and I agreed anyway, on, on the fact that we didn't need to be constitutional. And we also needed a time frame. If, if our people spoke to us in, at that level, that, that, that needed to be basically the law for right. some period of time. In most states, I think it's two or three years before you can even go change anything that the citizens vote on. So, I thought those were good I thought those were good positions i, I didn 't subscribe to four uh, percent or three percent of the people putting something on the ballot uh, that 's what we were We were like eighty thousand and we have one point eight uh, million registered voters so i, I didn 't subscribe to that, uh, particularly in light of the fact that big money people can come into a state like they did to Alaska. And dump a bunch of money in there and do false advertising and there's no restriction on that and our people could get misled into making a vote and I didn't want Proposition 38 and Proposition 56 and Proposition 100. So where we were, we, I think we were at 12% and the, and the House was like at 3.4%. So um, 4% is too low, um, for, for us to go. So I, I'm hopeful that they will reach a middle ground on that this year. Um, I'm for a ballot initiative. I think it's a healthy thing for the for the state to have. Uh, I just don't want it to be influenced by uh, Jeff Bezos or somebody showing up in here. with. Uh, I think it was about 40,000
2: signatures was the difference. In the, is that what you recall the yeah, House they, and Senate? It was about
8: 87,000 87, when I did the voter ID bill,
2: when I did the voter ID
8: one, which we passed successfully. And there were a couple on there that didn't pass. But when we passed that one successfully, that was um, that was about eighty, eighty two, eighty seven thousand. Ten percent, for example, would be about one hundred eighty thousand. So it'd be a pretty it'd be a pretty significant difference. And of course, we would have to do it over four congressional districts, not five, not five, five, right. five anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll reach a number. Um, if we, I just don't want to see us get into a California deal, and, uh, and I do want citizens if they're up in arms about one thing or another. that I think they need to have the right to speak
2: directly. So, could you get on board with a, a compromise between those two? Yeah, principles?
8: I'm let. I asked my chair. I met with the House people, really, and, and more. I think a cocktail conversation than really direct meetings. But saying, look, we need to finish this year, and, yeah. and I have met with uh, both the House and and the Senate Chairman and encourage them both to reach. I try to let them do their negotiations. I don't presuppose either one of them. But um, I think they're good hearts on both of those, so we'll see how it comes out.
2: Okay. Well, Lieutenant Governor, good luck on a productive session for the people of Mississippi. We certainly appreciate Mm -hmm. you stopping by and talking with us. Oh, it's always good to see you, Jordan. I appreciate all your work, man. Thank you. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. We're at the Mississippi Trademark for the MEC Annual Capital Day coming right back.
0: Gerard Gibbert. It is On, on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: back, Everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi at the Mississippi Trademark today for the Mississippi Economic Council's annual Capital Day. Thanks to Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hosman for joining us in the Element Wealth studios today, discussing his plans and priorities for the twenty twenty three legislative session. Lawmakers busy drafting their bills to file to Get assigned to committees and run those through the process, as you folks are aware. It looks like, uh, I know best I can tell, the seventh vote for the Speaker of the House is not going to produce a speaker. Well, it looks like. We will move to the eighth of ballot. We're coming up on that nine that were required in t- uh, 1923 to seat a speaker, right? And we're coming. We're coming. That's probably going to happen today. We might not exceed it because I don't know if they'll stick around for more than three votes today. Simply saying that because the prior two days only three were taken, and then they uh, voted to adjourn for the day. So at this point, looks like we're headed to an eighth ballot as Kevin McCarthy comes up short of the required 218 votes once again. What's going to break the logjam here? I I don't know that there is anything. They continue to negotiate. It, It is being reported. And Kevin McCarthy has continued to acquiesce. And I just wonder if they keep moving the goalposts. I know that's kind of hard to believe such would happen, but I, I'm I'm not sure they've put it all all on the table. This is absolutely what we got to have in total, not just. Let's we'll start with this and see if he gives on that, and then we'll come back and we'll request more. I'm honestly not sure. And the fact that Donald Trump made it clear his recommendation to. Republicans in the House to get behind Kevin McCarthy obviously this group that continues to vote against him are defying that request many of whom are staunch Trump supporters what kind of stroke does that say the former president has well yeah, Matt
3: Gates it? did use his vote to vote for Donald John Trump as Speaker of the House
2: he did? he did oh I'm looking at it now he sure did Oh, no sucking up going on there, is there? Well, I mean, if God Matt me. Gates
3: really is the kingmaker and he's the one holding all the cards, why doesn't somebody just nominate him?
2: See I how many totally votes he agree. would get. About two, maybe. <laughs> oh, he, of all the ones, he, and you you made this point early on, this is theatrics, and, it, and as this thing progresses, it looks more apparent. That's what's going on here. Does he not seem to be the biggest media hog of all? Oh, yeah. I think by far, by far. And maybe that's to, I don't know, try to gain a little bit uh, more acceptance from the voters because, you know, he got a little scandal going on that was became sort of what his calling card, his resume, what you thought about. And maybe this is an effort to divert attention away from that and call and call attention to his uh, theatrics here, his political showmanship. Hmm. So, also Byron Donalds, who had received some support for Republicans who did not vote for McCarthy. He got Gates's vote yesterday, but in this round, as you indicated, he went ahead and voted for Donald J. Trump for the Speaker of the House. Hm. Mm-hmm. And who has endorsed McCarthy? It's just a big circle. It's a circular logic, right? Is kind of what's going on here. I'm just not sure. So we're apparently headed to yet an eighth of vote. Uh, you got to believe that's going to happen, probably like it did yesterday, three o'clock or so this afternoon just seems like it's stuck, stuck at 201. I don't know that it's going to move. I don't see it improving. I, I, unless there's some path where they say, if you give us these concessions, these give in to these demands and agree to that, we'll cast our vote for you. But so far, that doesn't seem to be the case.
3: Well, and the problem with the majority of the conditions is these are things that you're supposed to do once you get sworn in as your job as a congressperson. You write the bills to make the laws that you want to be enacted, and you whip up the votes to get those bills passed. But these people can't seem to whip up anything except excitement in the
2: media. (laughs) It does seem to be the case. I think they like protracting this and prolonging this because they kind of... They kind of just retreat back into the shadows of the House, do they not, once this circus is over, where they're getting all this attention? Like they're demanding
3: term limits. All right, fine, write the bill. See if you can get the votes. Oh, wait, that's right, you can't.
2: And and so is it inappropriate for a speaker to say, look, I, I did some vote counting here, which is what... Leaders of these bodies are supposed to do. They're supposed to be the most proficient at vote counting and whipping vote. But in the vote counting, they come back and say, look, okay, you've got this bill here for term limits, but we can't get even remotely close to the number we need to pass this thing. We're not even going to do it. But again, is that not a bit selfish, though? That doesn't mean that If the votes were there, i got to believe that the Speaker would say, yeah, get the bill done, we got the votes, put it on the floor, we'll vote for it, we'll pass it. But in this particular case, the only reason to insist on it that I can think of is you want to go on the record of voting for it so that you can use that in the next election cycle. Look at me. I voted for term limits. And this is the problem we've discussed where... All the votes, all the actions, all the speeches, all the words are all geared towards the next election cycle. As opposed to what really is practical, what's doable. And that doesn't seem to ever enter the equation. Mike in Simpson County on the ceasefire text line says, Somebody nominate Newt Gingrich so we can straighten these crybabies out. Mo says, they should do three votes a day, seven days a week for a year if it takes that. Think of it. No legislation for any discretionary spending. Sooner or later, someone has to give. You, yeah, of course, remember, uh, Moe's, that the omnibus bill, which just got enacted over the holiday break, is does fund the government through fiscal year 2023. Which ends September 30th of this year. But you're right, that means the shutting down the government if we don't have a speaker because we can't fund it. Maybe that's the direction we need to take. In my view, however, uh, that would backfire on Republicans. Seems to always be the case. And, and in fact, I'm concerned that the circus displaying out right now is going to have a significant negative impact on the Republican Party in the 2024 cycle. The Democrats are absolutely licking their chops. People aren't fit for governing. That's what you're going to hear all over the place. So um, going to be crazy, no doubt about it. Three d- votes a day. Hmm. Gary and the Berg, what do you got here? MD, what's that? Oh. The MDEQ director, NAACP, failed to allege a single fact to support state discriminated against Jackson. Of course, they, that's the case. That's no surprise. As nuts as it is, no doubt about it. Uh, uh, we shouldn't be surprised at this. This is, looks like this is news that just broke. Hmm. But yet, the mayor of Jackson insisted... The water problems were all based on racism. Ben from Madison says, Not the answer I wanted to hear, but I really appreciate you asking the question. And that was concerning the ballot, citizen-initiated ballot measure process. I'm still a bit confused, and here's why, on the number of signatures. When I look at the present discussion of this on the Secretary of State site, it says that 106,190 signatures must be gathered in order to qualify a measure for the ballot. That's what it says, but yet when I look at the actual statute, I was right. It is 12% of the votes in the most recent gubernatorial election, but the lieutenant governor was also right in that in 2019 there were Less than 900,000 votes cast for governor, and 12% of that would put it at about eighty-five to 90,000 votes. I mean, pardon me, signatures, which is different than what the Secretary of State's website says. So I'm confused about that. I'm going to try to dig into it and see why there's a, there's a conflict and a contradiction in information. Taking a break right here on Middays. When we return, I think we've got Scott Waller. Or uh, we've got Martin Williams from the Eat Mississippi Economic Council. Stay with us.
8: Comes from some
6: other beginnings and you know what
0: that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Mississippi Trademark today. We're here for the Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day joining us now scott waller president and ceo of the mississippi economic council scott another great event another great day in a fantastic venue i'm so glad
5: that we got this oh, this location it's, it's to do great. this deal in it? it really is and, I, and you know i think the thing about it is it is a beautiful facility uh it, it works out great for us to be able to have both our morning session and the reception here and it, it truly has been a, a, a big advantage to have the tr- the trademark as part of our, I guess, portfolio yeah. of places to yeah. to do things these days. It's a, it's a. Tremendous venue.
2: Well, as as I always like to share with you, whenever you and I visit th- this event, that brings together such a range of stakeholders in the state of Mississippi, from business leaders, uh, community leaders, of course, and, and operatives, and, and the education community, lawmakers, statewide leaders folks from the healthcare industry just across the, the gambit the agriculture industry it's just so good to see them all assemble up and I think what really is a testament to the quality of the event is, as I look at the screens here in the lobby, are all the great sponsors you have. That's oh. the
5: who's who of Mississippi right it, there. It really is, and we're so blessed to have that. And, and, and we really appreciate you know the sponsorship from Supertalk. they were one of our premier sponsors this year. And, and, and the fact that, that this partnership of, of having y'all, be part of the day from the morning show to the, the, the midday show to everything that we do here it, it just kind of gives us an opportunity to show your audience and your listeners what can be done when you come together and, and I think if you in the morning session we talked about a lot of things that we're working on from a legislative standpoint. Uh, we heard from legislative leaders at the Capitol uh, on, on kind of what their priorities are. And it just helps us understand what we need to be focused on to move our state forward, which is really where we're trying to put our attention. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And and was talking
2: to the Lieutenant Governor a couple of segments ago, and we were just discussing that we're blessed in Mississippi with a, a fairly diverse economy. We're not too terribly reliant on any one particular industry. The agriculture, I think, still ranks as the top industry in the state. But it, the good news is it's not you know, too sensitive to major economic changes and changes in the macro economy. So kind of start with that as our underlying base. And then if you just kind of go up from there, uh, we've got just a
5: great diverse economy. Well, without question, and I think that's one of the things that that makes MEC special is that we are we are the state chamber, so we are a broad base of businesses. and as you said if you if you look in the if you look in the the main hall where we had our morning sessions, see all of the sponsors that we have, it it tells you that every sector of the economy, is taking part and equally important is every sector of the economy matters and and i think that that's where you know that's where it really helps us it's it's you know our, our association partners are so vital yeah working with the manufacturers working with uh Farm bureau and all those other groups they're so vital in us focusing on the broad issues that we need to look at but when you have all of the different businesses saying yes we need to be addressing roads and bridges we need to be addressing workforce we need to be thinking about what what is healthcare going to look like over the next few years because that's something that that we've talked about over the last day and a half and it, it it's all of those things that matter and, and having the input from so many different sectors it, it just, great
2: voice and a liaison a conduit if you you will conduit for the needs of the business community directly to the folks in charge of policy making in the state because honestly the folks running these businesses they ain't got time to come up here <laughs> and meet with all these folks. They're trying to run their business. They don't they, need to. They,
5: they really don't. And and that's kind of what that's that, you know it's interesting when you think about it. And, and you understand this from being a business person that you were, and, and being a, a, a member of MEC when you were, hmm? uh, is that that that's our job. Yeah. You 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 are you are kind of you have us there as that that frontline organization that we are working at it from a very broad based perspective. Now there's a lot of times that there's individuals things that, that companies need to work on and sure. there are times that sure. that we can can help and there's times we you know have to basically kind of work through that issue. But yeah. at the end of the day it's all about having focus on the the broad-based issues that are going to change our state in a very positive way.
2: Well, Scott, thanks for coming on, and congratulations again on a fantastic event and for all the good work the folks at the Mississippi Economic Council do on behalf of the business community. Really appreciate you, including Super Talk as part of this uh, great event, and we look forward to talking to you again.
5: Well, thank you so much. Again, we appreciate you all as well.
2: Appreciate it. That's Scott Waller, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. That wraps up the show here today from the Mississippi Trademark for the Mississippi Economic Council's annual capital day. We thank you so much for joining us today. Back in the Element Well Studios Super Supertalk headquarters tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.